Thanks, Samson, and good morning, uh, everyone. It's good to be with you this morning. I trust God has something for us uh, to take away. Uh, as Samson asked me to uh, share this morning, and I was asking the Lord where to go, he uh, brought me to this passage in Acts chapter 24. I have actually been working uh, on the book of Acts for some time, uh, trying to put a book together actually on how uh, we can take the principles of the growth of the early church and apply them to our organizations today. And in Acts chapter 24, verse 24, uh, and the next few verses, uh, we see how uh, Paul interacted uh, with Felix. Uh, you remember that to get here, Paul was in Jerusalem. He was arrested. Uh, he was then moved down. And uh, finally, he was sent to Caesarea, where he's un in confinement, uh, where the Roman procurator was uh, based. And uh, Felix was the procurator at that time who uh, represented uh, Emperor Claudius. And he had arrived in this position in Judea through the influence of his brother, Marcus Antonius, who was a secretary of the treasury uh, to the emperor. And history records for us that Felix uh, as a, was a brutal man, uh, a corrupt man, and which resulted in a number of feuds and disturbances, which he proceeded then to uh, quash quite harshly. Uh, finally, uh, he was recalled to Rome because of these issues, but he survived uh, unscathed because of his brother's continued influence uh, over with Emperor Nero at that time. And it is to this Felix that Paul's case has been referred by Commander Lysias. And you know that Commander Lysias sent a rather self-serving letter along with him. But basically, it said that he found no fault in Paul. And, <clears throat> and then the Jews sent uh, the lawyer Tertullus uh, to come and speak. But he also, after a lengthy presentation, uh, could not substantiate uh, the case. And uh, so Felix is left with really what he believes is an innocent man. Uh, but he, uh, all, we read that he also wanted a bribe and he wanted to curry favor with the Jews. So he continues to postpone the verdict on the pretext that he's waiting for the commander's personal advice. Paul, as an under trial, was also a Roman citizen. And hence, he was allowed under Roman law the facility of custodia libra which meant that although he was under guard, uh, he was permitted to meet his friends freely. In any event, we read in the account in the book of Acts that there was no further public hearing for the next two years. But Felix did investigate on his own. And it is here in the course of these uh, interactions that uh, Paul speaks to Felix about righteousness, self-control, and the judgment to come. So much so, we read that Felix was afraid. And yet, like a moth drawn to the flame, he finds himself irresistibly drawn to Paul and drawn to dig deeper and continue to meet with Paul frequently. Felix, as we've seen, was brutal and corrupt. And his interest in a bribe speaks clearly to this side of his nature. Further, we read that he had, uh, through the use of magic, seduced his wife, Drusilla, whom uh, the Bible says was a Jewess, who had a reputation as being a ravishing beauty. Uh, Felix had taken her away from her rightful husband and taken her for himself. She was, history says, his third wife. So this gives us the context 
of the conversations between Paul and the governor. How would you and I handle a similar situation? The social dynamics are clearly unequal. Felix is the procurator, Paul is the prisoner. Would it not have been so much easier for Paul to stick to the niceties, focus on the positives? Would you and I have the courage and tact to speak uncomfortable truth to someone who literally holds our freedom in their hands? Paul, as always, communicates his message in context. Felix, given his reputation for cruelty and corrupt financial dealings, seems to be the context for the discourse on righteousness. Uh, given the fact that his blatant lust and taking Drusilla seems to be the context for his self-control. And given the outcome of these and the final judgment and the warning of the inevitable consequences becomes the third element. John Stott suggests that perhaps the righteousness that Paul was speaking about is the righteousness from God as we and the divine act of justification as we read in his letter to the Romans. The three topics then would be the three tenses of salvation, namely how to be justified and pronounced righteous by God, how to overcome temptation and gain self-control, how to escape the awful judgment of God. Not surprising then that Felix was afraid. As I've been looking at this, my purpose, as I said, has been trace the work of the Holy Spirit through the book of Acts and apply these lessons to our own organizations in our own lives. What relevance then does this have to us today? Every relevance, I believe, because as we look at the world around us, the marketplace in which you and I have to work every day, it's a marketplace that epitomizes injustice, where ruthlessness is celebrated where what I want sets the standard of my behavior and any moral standards that might come in the way uh, are deemed archaic, old-fashioned and limiting. A world such as we live in today where eternity and final judgment is irrelevant. Do you and I not have a responsibility to raise these issues with our bosses and our peers? If we truly believe about these subjects as strongly as Paul did, then the awesome consequences for those ignoring them should also weigh heavily on each one of us, on our hearts. Yet, even as I say it, full disclosure, it is not at all easy. And we need to earnestly pray for the right time and the place. I must admit that more often than not, I allow the opportunity to simply pass me by, either through a sense of unpreparedness or inadequacy, and I keep silent. The key to being able to have such meaningful conversations as and when the opportunity arises is to find the appropriate context. We have to find common ground with the person we're speaking to. We need to identify the frame of reference uh, of that person. Paul, for him, in this instance, was aware of Felix's uh, reputation. He was aware of the scandal around Felix and Rosella's marriage. He was aware of her Jewish heritage. And drawing all these elements together with divine wisdom, he places his finger on the precise pressure points that would uh, touch Felix's heart. The famous English essayist William Hazlitt once said, man is the only animal that laughs and weeps, for he is the only animal that is struck with the difference between what things are and what they ought to be. 
every single person has an inbuilt realization that the things that are not as they ought to be. We feel the pain of the tension uh, between what we see around us and what for what we hope. How you and I address that gap reflects a person's sometimes unarticulated uh, frame of reference or worldview. To most of our neighbors around us uh, who come from an Eastern worldview, the inequalities that they see in society, they see as a result of karma, uh, the consequences of choices made in a previous life. <clears throat> when taken to a logical conclusion, then the problems facing an individual today are the result of past failures and any blessings in this life are the result also of a previous life well lived. Therefore, there's not much pity uh, for someone paying for the sins of their past life or much desire to share in the blessings since these have been earned and are not a gift. An atheist today would blame the gap between what is and what should be on uh, the result of ancient superstitions which have held the world back from scientific progress and its eventual destiny. Hence, atheism would say that Paul's perspective on judgment is only a human construct. There's nothing to worry about for Felix, and there's nothing that you and I uh, need to worry about either. We can do whatever we like because there are no eternal consequences. Yet a cursory reading of history would show that the gap between what is and what should be has only widened every time the limits of eternity and a day of judgment have been erased. We only need to look at the horrors of the Nazi and the Gulag, and they bear testimony that when the moral lawgiver is removed from the equation without righteousness, without self-control, uh, then power corrupts. As Lord Acton says, power corrupts, absolute power corrupts, absolutely. Whereas our faith, Christianity, sees the gap between what is and what should be as evidence of what was an originally a perfect world, now inhabited by a sinful man and the result of the fall. It views the overarching narrative of history as that of reversing the fall, addressing the fallen nature in each one of us. And the solution is provided for us through the cross that one day will not only reconcile us physically from man to God, but also restore nature to itself. But yet for that grand plan to be fulfilled as we know, the son of God had to come and he had to die on the cross. But Paul is now telling Felix and in all Paul's ministry continually speaks out that the gap has been bridged and there's a way back for each one of us. The righteousness that had been lost in Eden has been restored. And Felix doesn't have to work for it, but he has been provided for him through the death of Christ on the cross. Whatever the context, be it company, church or state, the lure of power can only be controlled by the self-control that is brought through our understanding that we are just transient residents here with an eternal destiny in which the time spent here is but a small grain of sand in the sands of time. So then how can you and I speak truth to power? I believe as we look at scripture and Paul over here, we get four pointers to that. The first is that there needs to be genuine empathy. Krish Dhanam in a talk on building relationships 
says that the difference between empathy and sympathy is of standing with the person in need. Sympathy simply says, I feel sorry for you. But empathy says, I stand with you. I stand where you are standing. I feel your pain. I feel your hurt. And I want to be with you. And I help you work it out together. When we read about how Daniel spoke to Nebuchadnezzar about his dream, we read that Daniel was upset and alarmed by the meaning. Uh, and we know the dream was that the king would be cut down and that his glory and kingdom would be taken away and that he would live as an animal for seven years. Right. Uh, and Daniel could have easily seen uh, this as a judgment on Nebuchadnezzar for his arrogance, which would have been true and fitting punishment for this proud man. This was the man who had exiled Daniel and his uh, compatriots, who had plundered the temple and set the, his beloved Jerusalem on fire. And yet Daniel is genuinely upset, not at having to pass the message on, but that his king would have to endure the season. There is no triumphalism uh, that Nebuchadnezzar is finally getting what he deserves. There's no sympathy, you poor animal. No, there's empathy. Daniel knew what it was like to be far away from his country, people and his kingdom. He knew what it was to be driven out. And he genuinely does not want the same thing, even for this proud king. And he suggests a way to Nebuchadnezzar that if perhaps if the king were to humble himself, he might be spared uh, this season. Paul too displays empathy. Undoubtedly, if there had been even a hint of superiority, Felix would not have continued to speak with Paul. This is further events when, uh, is shown to us when Paul addresses Festus who succeeded Felix and before King Agrippa, he genuinely wants them to experience his faith, he says, but without the chains. The second requirement is humility. In fact, it is almost impossible to have empathy without humility. How can you and I stand alongside someone if we feel that we stand on higher ground? Paul does not speak down to any of his audience. He gives the respect that is due to the office in every single case. Daniel too, when he spoke to the hapless uh, King Bel Belshazzar, while communicating the divine rebuke, he still addresses him as king. Perhaps the most notable example of this in scripture is the prophet Nathan confronting King David. We know the story of a riveting uh, tale. He gets David right in the crosshairs. He rebukes the king and goes on to dissect David's sin unsparingly. Yet, as we see, the relationship between these two men continued. It is clear that their friendship endured, and that could only happen because Nathan, while confronting in the role, uh, King David in the role of prophet, remained loyal and submissive in his role as a subject. After this episode and warning, of the continued strife that would be part of David's family, Nathan never again uses this as leverage. In fact, it is to Nathan that Bathsheba goes to help smooth the transition of the throne to Solomon. I find it most notable that David actually names one of his sons after Nathan. Nothing could speak more clearly to their enduring relationship. The third attribute is clarity. While this is critical in any communication, especially when dealing with sensitive issues, 
it becomes extremely critical when speaking to authority. The time of a person in authority is valuable and needs to be valued as such. Rambling or waffling, besides being irritating, is also saying that you and I don't value the time of the person to whom we're speaking. Daniel, Nathan, Paul all got straight to the point. Sure, they set the context. It's not about being abrupt, but they don't use unnecessary eloquence like Tertullus did to bolster their message. Over the years, I've seen this repeatedly. Leaders, especially senior leaders, place a huge premium on clarity and preciseness. They do not have the time to read lengthy emails or listen to a long argument. They need the facts in a clear, accurate, and concise manner. And they appreciate those who can do it so in that way. The fourth requirement is that of courage. A firm conviction that you and I will tell the truth or convey the facts irrespective of the possible personal outcome. Daniel, Nathan, and Paul could have paid a huge price for their message. They could have paid that with their lives. Kings in those days were absolute rulers. And as we've read, Nebuchadnezzar had a particular fondness for threatening to tear people and their houses apart. Yet when called to present the truth, they did so fearlessly. You and I may not literally lose life or limb uh, in an organizational or corporate setting, but we can certainly fear for our jobs. Uh, we can fear the effect of an unwelcome message might have on our promotion, on our increment, or even our career. Yet I have seen personally, if, even if in the short term, the message is not accepted, in the long term, it does indeed build credibility and the recipient actually respects the messenger more, as was with the case of Felix and Paul. I can recall a number of times over the years when colleagues warned me not to say what I believe was correct or to play down the facts so as to agree with the boss, uh, with what the boss believed. In every case, after the initial discomfort, I've seen my credibility actually grew within the organization as the owner or chairman knew that I wouldn't give him or her erroneous information. Speaking truth, uh, my friends, is never easy, but with the grace and spirit of truth that is in each one of us, we can and should speak and be able to speak with empathy, humility, clarity, and courage in any situation. My prayer is that God would use these words to encourage you and in whatever situation you are, bring these words to mind and help you speak what he has placed on your heart. May God bless you. Our Father, we thank you for this day. We thank you for this time. We thank you for your word and your word is true and you are the same yesterday, today and forever. Thank you, Lord, for your spirit that lives in us, Lord, the spirit of truth. And we pray, Lord, now that you would send us into the world that you have placed us and that you would continue to use us and that we would be salt and light, Lord, and would be able to be minister truth in a gracious way, Lord, as you did wherever you placed us. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.